Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. Good evening. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew joining us here in a little bit. Just wanted to kind of give you a rundown of what we're going to do tonight here, and then we'll really get into the show and start talking NASCAR racing. Anytime you want to jump on the show tonight, 917-889-8280. That is the number to call here tonight on Talking Circles. We'll discuss anything you want about the offseason. It's been a crazy offseason. We saw a penalty, which came almost two weeks after Homestead, which was crazy. Uh, almost, excuse me, a week after Homestead, which was nuts, uh, where Rick Ware and Premium got, got penalized. We, we'll dive into that a little bit if you want to. We can also dive into Stuart Haas Racing. Three teams there have new crew chiefs. Um, so all, all sorts of stuff that you want to touch on here uh, on Talking Circles. And what's your name? Where are you calling from? Phillips. Phil. Hey, Philip. Sorry. Um, so I uh, got on this, and and it was the show is was ready to go at uh, at eight forty-five. Uh, I must have, I must have clicked the wrong button, but Anyway, um, I was previewing what we're going to talk about tonight. Again, the number is 917-889-8280 to call here tonight at Talk in Circles. Um, you know, anything about the offseason, there there's been a lot of stuff to go on here. We still don't know a couple of things. We know now, now that Corey LaJoy is going to be in the 32 car for, for, for Go Fast Racing. They're going to have an alliance with Stuart Haas Racing. We understand that. We also understand um, – we don't really know what's going on right now at Front Row Motorsports. That's still up in the air. They have three charters there. Uh, it sounds like they're going to be a two-car operation next year. I think John Hunter Nemechek is going to drive one car. Not really sure who's going to be in the other. LaJoy was mentioned. Daniel Suarez was mentioned. Suarez, his plans are still up in the air for 2020 as well. And there's still a lot of off-season to go. So, um, But but there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of, of things that happen already. NASCAR this week came out and announced their – Premier tier sponsors, Geico, Bush Beer, Coca-Cola, and Xfinity are their four premier sponsorships. And that's sort of what we're going to see as far as what was called the uh, replacing, I guess you can say, replacing Monster Energy, which is still going to be a lower tier sponsor uh, out there in NASCAR. So it's kind of crazy how we're, I don't even think NASCAR is 100% sure yet on how it's all going to, to uh, really work out yet. Um, there was, you know, you read the transcript. There's a lot of, well, wait and see. You know, this first year is going to be different than the second year, than the third year. It's going to be slowly implemented, and you really see a difference here in 2021, 2022. And really, I think 2021 is going to be a much different year. So, um, as far as what's concerned there, as far as um, the uh, the tiered sponsorships, there's really not a whole lot to discuss. You know, Bush Beer been in the sport a long time, same thing with Coca-Cola, Xfinity is part of the uh, Xfinity series, and then, of course, Geico, who's been in the sport for a little while. They have a car over there at Jermaine Racing, but there's really not a ton, a ton to discuss. I think we kind of expected this. What are your thoughts on, on the tier sponsorship, Philip? Was there any surprise to you uh, about how any of this works? I'm sure you've read the transcript and you're very familiar with a lot of the things that was said uh, over the last couple of days here about the tier sponsorships and, and a four tier, the, the primary tier, what are your thoughts on that whole deal um, with NASCAR and what they announced here this week? I mean, for for uh, 
Sparta turned down Monster Energy's money to be the the lead sponsor of the series and to move to this like multi you know, the multi tiered platform that they're doing now. And I think in a lot of ways it's like uh, the the teams or the way that they're sponsoring the cars. The days of when you started watching and I started watching, you could identify that car, whatever car, your favorite driver had one sponsor all year, every year without fail. It was always for Dale Sr. it was Wrangler and then it became GM Goodwin. For Rusty Wallace, for after Kodiak, it became Miller uh, and the different years of Miller. Uh, the 28 cars of Texaco Avalon Ford, you know, like, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, insert your favorite driver, DuPont, Chevrolet for Jeff Gordon, and stuff like that. And over, because of the costs of the series and how much things have gone on, uh, gone up, uh, they've had to get multiple sponsors. Uh, there are exceptions to the rule for the most part. You can make a case basically that Kyle Bush has one sponsor, albeit, you know, the, with M&Ms and their M&M Mars, but they have other, uh, they have interstate batteries on the car for six weeks. You know, the Jimmy Johnson had Ally this year, and before that it was Lowe's. Uh, but that's basically it. You know, most of these teams now are having to run multiple sponsorships to get through a full season. Uh, so, I mean, I guess in this sense, what their NASCAR is trying to do is say, all right, we're not trying to price you out of the sport. We're trying to get you in and have that marketing face and give you the opportunity to kind of, you know, promote whatever product. I find it interesting. Geico doesn't want to put money in the team that they're sponsoring right now, but they have enough money to go and, uh, you know, sponsor the series in a, to a point. Uh, Xfinity extending themselves out from their lead sponsorship of what is essentially AAA to go and um, be in the Cup Series now is good. I mean, of course, it's the same uh, series that ran uh, Verizon out of of the sport, which is why they went to IndyCar and were successful there and had a lead sponsorship and all kinds of things like that. But, I mean, it's we'll see what happens. I'm curious to see who they're going to get in. There's been news of them turning down like uh, e-cigarettes or some of these um, types of sponsorships. And when you consider that really the sport, the series isn't very healthy, uh, there was only, I think, 31 cars that ran every race this year, turning down sponsorship. And then one of the guys got fired for a guy who has no talent uh, in a back to your ride, you know, and it's, it, you have to be open and willing to look at new sponsorship and or sponsorship models, which is why probably NASCAR, yeah. the, the Daytona is doing what they're doing with it. Here's where I'm curious. And, and uh, again, this is just, I think it's so new as far as how it's going to go. And, and I don't think we're going to see that, you know, they basically said, you're not really going to see a major change in 2020, but 2021, 2022, you'll see some changes. So it's interesting to me because you brought up the Xfinity tie, and that's certainly 
kind of uh, what interests me is, you know, we never really seen a, a uh, presence be a major sponsor for uh, two series. You know, it was really they focused on their own series. You don't see uh, Gander Outdoors getting into into the Cup Series. It's just Xfinity. I wonder if there was a deal, though, where, you know, hey, an extra $7 million a year, you could be a prime, premier sponsor. So Geico, which was already part of the NASCAR deal, might say, hey, you know, it's only $7 million more. We're already paying, you know, to be the official insurance company of NASCAR, we're already paying five. So we'll, we'll kick it in. Yeah, or something to that nature. Same thing with Bush Beer. Same thing with it. The, they're all NASCAR sponsors. It was no new sponsor. It was nothing that you saw in the premier, in the top, the top tier sponsorships at least that were new. It wasn't like they said, hey, we're going to go out and, um, you know, bring in uh, UPS, which hasn't been in the sport. In a bunch of years, and they're going to be a premier one of our premiers. There was no nothing like that, so that's curious to me that uh, maybe they're they're trying to get a little bit more from the money from the and a little bit more. Um, I, I guess just give give their sponsors that are in the sport a little bit more that they can choose. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. It's so new that I don't even think we can really dive into it because we're nobody's really sure. I mean, NASCAR basically came out and they were basically saying, hey. We're not really 100% sure yet on how it's going to work out either. So that's going to be very interesting to see how all that plays out. 917-889-8282. Let's talk in circles tonight, the number to call. Uh, another interesting thing that came out this week, Philip, and I know this is close to your heart because you're a Tony Stewart fan and you're a fan of Stewart House Racing, and that was the, the coaching alignment there for the 2019 season – or 2020 season, excuse me, with Stewart House Racing. If you know if you're a junkie uh, in this sport, like you and I are, you know who what crew chiefs were with what car last year. But if you're not, I'll, I'll review them real quick for you. Last year, the 41 car with Daniel Suarez had Billy Scott as the crew chief. The 14 car had Mike Bugaravich. The 10 car had John Klausmeyer. And the 4 car had Rodney Childers. Now, the only car that will stay the same from 2020 with the crew chief is Rodney Childers in that 4 car. Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers. They made the final four again. They had a real, they had a good year as far as everybody else in Stewart House Racing was concerned. They were the best team there by far. I don't think Harvick wanted. I think Harvick would have. I couldn't even imagine what would happen if they suggested that Rodney Childers wouldn't be the crew chief there. I think he's thrilled with Rodney Childers. Uh, that team's not going anywhere. But the rest of the three over at Stewart House Racing have made a crew chief change. One team even made a driver change, which we know um, from from weeks past that Cole Custer is going to move up to the 41 car. Uh, but the, None of the teams, none of the rest of the teams are going to have a, a, the same crew chief as last year. I'll start with um, the swap, I guess you can say. Mike Bogoravich and and uh, John Klausmeyer have swapped teams. So John Klausmeyer, who was an engineer at Stuart Haas for a while, he was the crew chief last year for Eric Amarola. He will be now. He will now be the crew chief for Clint Boyer in the number 14 car. Mike Bogoravich, who was Tony Stewart's crew chief and then Clint Boyer's crew chief, is now going to be the crew chief for Eric Amarola in the 10 car. And one of the most interesting things was that uh, Billy Scott, who was the crew chief for the 41 team, he's out. He is now working at, at Richard Childress Racing. He's going to be an engineer over there at Richard Childress Racing and head in the engineering department. And Mike Shiplett, who was the Xfinity Series crew chief with Cole Custer last year, will be up in the Cup Series with Cole Custer and the 41 team. Uh, I think it's a tremendous move, that one, for sure. Uh, Shippel's, you know, he, he's really he led that 42 team in the Xfinity Series for the last few years. 
He's really uh, gained a lot of steam. He's been in the Cup Series before. People forget Skiplett was over there at Gillette uh, Everham, whatever you want to call it, Everham Racing, Richard Petty Motorsports. Uh, a long time ago, about 10 years ago, he was a crew chief there in that 44 car, and, and he's Patrick Carpentier's crew chief, and he did a lot of other different things. But he sort of right, righted the ship here a little bit and has really became a top-notch crew chief. And that pairing of Custer, Custer took a step in the right direction last year. He really blossomed. And I think that was something that Stuart House Racing couldn't afford to miss out on and say, we'll keep, you know, shipping the Xfinity Series. I think a lot of people would have said, what? Why are you doing that? So they've moved them up with Cole Custer. It leaves a hole in their Xfinity Series program at that double zero team. We'll see if that team even runs next year. But what are your thoughts, Philip, on the on the swap, on bringing up Mike Shiplett here for Stuart Haas Racing in 2020 in their crew chief lineup uh, paired with the drivers? What are your thoughts? Well, I can think about this time last year or a little bit further out that <clears throat> Shiplett was supposed to be the crew chief of uh, Ross Chastain in the 42 uh, with DC Stoller. And then it all blew up. Uh, DC Stoller got nailed with the whatever tax evasion, whatever other nonsense they're doing. Ross Chastain didn't have a job, and Mike Shipley was sitting there in the 42 Cup effort. Chip Ganassi had a chance to move him up with Young Money Kyle Larson, who has a sexiest wife who chugs beers on uh, on uh, national TV now twice after yesterday night. But if that's beside the point. But the fact of the matter is they let him go. And we talked about it on the show about how Mike Shiplett being let go by Ganassi was a big mistake. And the way that Cole Custer took off this year and the way he performed this year in the Xfinity series was a big breakthrough in his career because he kind of had plateaued in a sense uh, in, a, in, in some ways. And he... The reality is Gene was never going to not give him a cup opportunity. His best, his dad, his best friend is freaking Joe Custer, who's been running that team when they were absolute garbage, uh, and that's his son. So he was going to put him in a cup car at some point. Uh, that is Gene's car, so in the end, it doesn't really matter in that sense. Uh, the if they had let Mike Shipley go, it would have been a would have been a glaring glaring issue, uh, to say the least. Because, yeah, he had uh, Jeff Mendering, I think, for a couple of years in the X-Men series. He did okay. But with Mike Shiplett, I think moving him up, he understands what Cole needs in a car. Cole needs somebody that will support him and kind of be a positive, you know, kind of keep him focused. And when you consider he's with three veteran drivers, it's going to – he needs a veteran – hand there, and that's a good move. Um, the Children's Harvick combination has been prolific. Uh, that's what Tony wanted. That's Tony's car. Um, he wanted his one of his good friends to be there, and he was going to win a championship with them. They've only won one. They've had chances at multiple. They've won a lot of races. They've been more than that. But the fact is the Harvick Childers combination isn't stopping anytime soon. It's basically going to be when Kevin Harvick decides he wants to quit because uh, they don't have a problem. That's the only car at Stuart Haas that really doesn't have a theoretical problem with sponsorship um, because Gene Haas pays out his own pocket, so it doesn't really matter with 41. The 10 and the 14, that swap, I think we were talking about that earlier this year 
more about Clint Boyer and how he's underperformed uh, in the 14 car. And they, I think this is basically that last shot. What it is is with Kyle Larson as a free agent, with other top-line drivers as free agents, and knowing that Clint Boyer is older, it's, it's, a, it's a push to see can Clint Boyer get over the top. Can he finally take that 14 car back to that, you know, peak, which was 2011? That's asking a lot, of course, when you're trying to talk about one of the greatest um, drivers overall, not just hot car drivers ever, and one of his good friends and his owner. But he hasn't really performed, hasn't really performed all that well in the Cup Series since 2013, to be completely honest. Yeah, he had a good 2018 couple wins and had a couple rounds in playoffs. But outside of since twenty since twenty twelve, I think or twenty yeah, I think twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, something like that, he hasn't been relevant. And there are guys that are coming for that ride and they have a sponsorship problem there. Um, I think Kyle Larson's definitely viable. I think there's other options there. Tony seems to like Daniel Suarez. That might be an option. You know, there you can list it. Uh, so I think the move to Johnny Klausmeyer is a push to see if they can get him over the top. Johnny Klausmeyer, I think, is a really solid crew chief. A lot of potential there. I think him and Eric Almirola performed um, ex- exceptionally well in 2018. In 2019, whether it was a rules package, whether things, I don't know what changed within the team, their team. It just didn't work this year. And especially after the first part of the year where they were, Kind of in the top ten in points, it fell off. I don't know what happened, but okay, fine. The Mike Bugaravich thing, I'm really curious to see. Because I think Tony was on record in saying he held Mike Bugaravich back. I've been on record, and because of people that I know were friends of, or people who were fans of, of Boyer and whatever, that they weren't really, they didn't really get along, and they didn't have the greatest chemistry. And but I think Eric Almirola has worked with so many crew chiefs over all these years with all these teams, mm. and I think and Mike Bugaravich is the kind of guy who's a grinder and he wants it bad. And Eric Almirola felt bad last year, and he's like, "I'm leaving something on the table. I'm leaving something on the table." You know, he doesn't really have an issue with sponsorship as long as Smithfield wants to be around. He's going to be around again. But I think Mike Bugaravich and Eric Almirola together are going to have a breakthrough. I, I really, I've always been a fan of Bugga. I've always thought very highly of him. He helped Tony through the worst, some of the worst times of his career, and he made him competitive again. And I think that that 10 team will be able to come back. No, are they going to be the same as a four? No. But being right. relevant is what they need. They need those two teams to be relevant because it's going to be a learning curve for that 41 team they may may or may not make the playoffs. It's going to be hard for them and for any of the rookies to make the playoffs. But the fact is that 10 and 14 have to. So this move, I think, was a preemptive thing to make sure that they both do. Yeah, listen, here's my thing is is there's a, a lot to, to unpack with this, with the Stuart Haas racing deal. And one of the things is, you know, I discussed this with you at the end of the season was uh and it's something that was brought up actually on Reddit this weekend, which I was kinda of surprised, about the situation with Brad Kozlowski and Paul Wolf 
And I said, well, you know, that's kind of getting to a situation where, you know, if they struggle again next year, people are going to be start to whispering, maybe there's time for a crew chief change there. And, you know, teams aren't as aggressive, I think, with as as fans would like with crew chief changes. It takes a lot of time to really figure out um, whether or not a crew chief change is going to work. You know, each crew chief, I'm sure, has a different mentality how they build race cars uh, and how they should they go about building race cars. And it takes a while to to get all that those old cars out of the system and back in. And it really takes, to me, at least eight to ten weeks before we really see a major impact. Now, doing one before the season starts, it might be a little bit different. But and if they did it in the regular season, that's where I would feel about six to eight weeks, really, until we saw a major change. Um, so you don't really see teams do that for whatever reason. You know, Penske's kind of shies away from it. Penske, when you look at their crew chief lineup, uh, I think they got two of the longest running driver crew chief combinations with uh, Paul Wolf and Brad Keselowski and Todd Gordon and Joe Logano. Uh, they just don't make crew chief changes. So, and here's Stuart Haas Racing, who in 2018 had an, a, a legendary year. They had a tremendous season in 2018. They have one eh year in 2019, and they completely revamped their crew chief lineup for all for three of the four race cars. Now, personally, as a fan, if I was a fan of this team, I would like that because I sit there and go, I don't want to see a, a season again next year to where Clint Boyer doesn't make you know if he makes the playoffs is totally irrelevant. Eric Amarola had a horrific end of the year. I don't want to see that continue in the 2020. Um, and Billy Scott. You know, hasn't had a whole lot of success there at Stuart Haas Racing, no matter who he's had. So, as a fan, I like that. Um, and it's just, it's, I just find that the, the different mentality of that, uh, to me, is is curious. And it, it just shows you, to me, what Stuart Haas Racing thinks, you know, how they think. Listen, we're going to do everything we can to win. Um, and we weren't happy with how we ran last year. For example, Hendrick, you know, yeah, they made some crew chief changes, but you haven't seen the wholesale changes where three of the – Chiefs are completely gone because they haven't run good. Hendrick's sort of looking at it going, well, you know, our cars aren't really where they need to be. Our team's not really where we need to be. Chevrolet's not really where we need to be. They've made a couple of changes. Um, Kanasko and Byron and Jimmy Johnson's had a couple of crew chiefs. But Gustafson's been there a long time, and um, and uh, Greg Ives has been there a while for the 88 at Hendrick Motorsports. So just it's just curious to me that Stuart Haas has made some changes here, and they're not looking at it like, hey, we believe in our drivers. They're looking at it like, hey, we believe in our drivers. We're, we're going to make some crew chief changes. Um, and if I'm on the roll, I'm a little disappointed. You mentioned Crossfire and him. They had a lot of uh, success in 2018. I know they finished 2019 horrendously, but again, you could sort of cough it up to, well, they just had a bad year. Um, but I do think there was something with it where they sat there and said, Mike Bukovic is a good crew chief. Him and Boyer aren't really seeing eye to eye. We don't want to Make a cha- We have to make a change, but we don't want Mike Bogaravich to, to, you know, we don't want to lose Mike Bogaravich. We don't want to put him in the Xfinity Series because some cup guys, some cup team's going to take him, and we don't want to um, lose him in the Cup Series at all. So the only option we have is obviously we can't move Harvick. We're not going to put him with uh, Shiplet with with the success Custer and him had. The only other option is to flip Johnny Klausmeyer and uh, and Mike Bogaravich, and that's what they came to. So. Um, you know, I, I do feel a little bit for Amarola. I'm sure, you know, I'm not saying Michael Gravis is not a good crew chief, but it seemed like him and Klausmeyer really had a good thing going. Um, and, again, I know Amarola didn't have a great finish to the year, 
but I just think he's probably not as excited as maybe others with this these crew chief changes, uh, others on the team, you know. And and I just it's gonna be interesting to see how it all plays out because um, they didn't have a good end of the year last year. We saw three of those teams struggle. Uh, Suarez is out now. We still don't know what he's gonna do for 2020. Um, but that team really got a facelift. They really changed a lot of different things. And and you say, well, it's only crew chief. To me, that's a big that's a big change. Taking a driver out of an organization, replacing him, and making three crew chief changes—essentially three crew chief changes—that's a major change to the organization. And I think it just shows Philip that Stuart House Racing strives for perfection. They strive for—you know—they want all teams in the top ten, and they—and they—it just shows you. And again, as a fan, I'm happy about it because I sit there and go, "I wasn't happy where I ran last year," so I'm happy that you made the changes. But is there such a thing? I guess what I'm asking you is: Is there such a thing as maybe an overreaction? one bad year. What are your thoughts? No, I don't think so. Not in the case of of Stuart Haas. I think, you know, Richard Childress over the years, I think uh, going back to 99, uh, Taylor and Hart, or 98 of 99, we had Q-Ball McReynolds as a crew chief, and they weren't going anywhere, and Kevin Hamlin is a crew chief for uh, Mike Skinner. And uh, and uh, it might have been 2000, whatever. It, 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 one, at, at some point around there, I might. I think it was early. If you won those races right, at, at Suzuka, and he went and swapped the crew chief. And Kevin Hamlin fit really well with Earnhardt. Earnhardt liked what he was hearing, and basically he needed a yes man in, in a sense, but he also kind of needed somebody to kind of get him, understand his field the way that Andy Petrie and and uh, Kirk Chumley had before. And then, you know, the cue ball went with Mike Skinner. They won a couple races, non-point races, stuff like that. And he's had a habit of doing that over time. And it had worked when Richard Taylor's racing was relevant. Um, Hendrick Motorsports is not really known for making extreme moves like that, like you mentioned. Uh, They did do that for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, They took Steve Letarte, and they moved him to Dale Earnhardt Jr. a few years back and basically gave him a TV career in the process. Uh, and, uh, you know, they moved, I think, Alan Gustafson over to the 24, and uh, that ended up giving Jeff Corden a couple of decent years at the end of his uh, legendary career. I mean, there's these teams have done it to, all to varying levels of success where you go and do that. Uh, the way that Stuart Haas performed last year relative to 2018, it it wasn't good. And then you add the fact that when you consider the 14 is not really well sponsored, the, the 41 basically is run out of Gene Haas's pocket. And then the 10 has got its sponsorship basically, you know, and the 4 is pretty much fine, but even they have a couple of empty races. Stuart Haas needs to get, they're trying to cultivate more sponsorship, so they need to be more competitive. And um, in the end, I think it's a, and when you consider that you're not losing those two pieces, and if there are any questions or whatever, sharing data, they'll be able to. And then when you're bringing in a Mike Shipwood who's coming from his previous experience years back at, with with Raymond and going in Ganassi and et cetera, et cetera. I think that's a really positive 
a piece to be put in there with Rodney Childers, who leads that whole group. At the end of the day, it starts and ends with a four car. And they all need their own or different things. But in the end, Childers is the guy. And he's not a big talker. He's not a big, you know, big loud guy. He's not like old man Tony Gibson, whatever. But you you need to have a united front. And you need to know that the data and the things that are going on, sharing data, doing things so that you're trying to make all four cars competitive. You can't have one car that head and shoulders above the rest and the rest of them are tanking. Gibbs did it last year and got three out of the four in the at homestead. And then Eric Jones won the Southern 500 and the bottom fell out in the first round of the playoffs. He had a chance to win more races than just that. So the fact is Gibbs, albeit with a much narrower base because they only have five cars, Toyota, is able to do that. So You've got Tony, you've got Gene, you've got whoever, and Zippy and all, and they're like, we need to, we need to make a move. It's, and, and to me, I think it's fine because when it comes to the 41, they were going to have to redo the whole bit, and they were going to move that whole team over, and that's fine. I think the bigger move, because it actually has more of a difference in terms of what's going to happen in 2020, is the swapping of the 14 and 10. But to me, I think it's more a case of what's going to happen with Clint Boyer. Um, as much as a lot of people love him, uh, his performance generally hasn't been indicative of uh, being in that ride. And when there are the kind of talents yeah, it, out there going into 2021, uh, they needed to make a change there for sure. And it's funny because you, know, you bring up uh, 2021 and who's a free agent, and there's a lot of drivers out there. Um, Brad Kozlowski is a free agent, uh, according to reports. So is Ryan Blaney, uh, Eric Jones, Alex Bowman, and one the the probably the biggest free agent is Kyle Larson, who made some headlines this week. And I kind of want to get your opinion on this because I kind of have an unorthodox opinion. I know my brother agrees with me on this, um, but I kind of have an unorthodox opinion. And I, I it's funny because I. A couple of years ago, I had a host who was a, a hardcore dirt racer and loved it and said, no, I, I think these guys should run as much, many dirt races as possible. Um, Larson said that his contract, what team he runs, being able to run on dirt races dirt races will play a key role in which team he runs for after the 2020 season. Now, um, there's been different philosophies on this. A lot of people think, go ahead and run dirt races. Who cares? A lot of other people think, well, you know, and this is where I stand. This is a long season, 36 races, you know, and you're going against drivers and teams who are focused on 100% at the task at hand, at winning a championship in their respected series. Um, and they're, they're doing what they got to do, whether it's simulation work, whether it's uh, studying the race uh, on the off, during the off, during off week, days in a week. They're doing basically everything they need to do to um, to win, working out and and endurance and all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not totally against it. If if a driver wants to go run, you know, here and there, I'm I'm okay with it. But if it gets to a a level of where you sit there and you go, well, this guy's gonna be exhausted at the end of the year, 
And I was saying physically, and people go, oh, well, physically, these cars aren't as – they don't drive as, as – you know, they're not as physical as they were a bunch of years ago, and that's absolutely true. But you get to a point where mentally you you get to burn down. I think it hurt – I always say this about Kyle Busch when Kyle Busch ran all those Xfinity Series races years ago. You know, and all of a sudden he got to the playoffs, and he was never good in the playoffs, Kyle. Never. And I sat there and said, maybe he's just burnt down at the end of the year and doesn't even realize, can't even comprehend it. Like, maybe I'm just, you know, not as focused as I need to be as the 48 team was or as uh, the two team was towards the end of that year when he lost those championships. So I guess what I'm getting at is, are you, where do you stand on Larson? Do you think he should run as many dirt races? As possible, it's totally okay. Or do you think, you know, uh, if if you're a team owner, and this might cause, listen, this might be the reason. If, if Stuart Operation says, listen, we love you, Kyle, we'll throw, we'll throw as much money as we possibly can at you, but we only want you to run a handful of races a year. Now, Tony Stewart on that team, I thought that's, that's going to happen. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I can totally see a team doing that, and it might cost them getting Kyle Larson. Where do you stand on this, Philip? Well, Clayton, you brought up that point, and you just talked about Stuart Haas. I think that's the reason why he isn't in the Hendrick Motorsports car. Uh, when we consider that the 24, I think, might have been in play when they had to find a replacement for Jeff Gordon. And so the 88 was in play before um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. went did his white night thing and went gave Alex Bowman his time. Um, I think at the end of the day, they have to rebrand, and there's a lot of things they have to do at Hendrick Motorsports as a separate conversation, a separate show. But Hendrick has a thing about, you know, extracurriculars. An occasional Xfinity race here and there is fine. Um, they, he even let Jeff and Raymond run, own, run a team uh, back in the late 90s, early in 2000s, something like that, 98, 99, something but the fact of the matter is, I think he'd be in a Hendrick Motorsports car if he wasn't driving dirt. Kyle Larson has his own midget team. He's going to be running the Chili Bowl for him and his, himself and his father instead of running for Keith Coons Motorsports, which he's done forever, which is the same thing. Like Chris Bell is now going to be going with another, with uh, former NASCAR driver Chad Boat's team. Um, the, you talk about um, he's a sprint car owner. He owns the number two. Um, I'm forgetting the driver now offhand, but he's he's a pretty good shoe um, out there on the world of outlaws, and they do uh, they they go around. But he drives he drives a 410 Sprinter. And the fact of the matter is, Kyle Larson at the end of the day loves dirt. His wife's been there. That's where it started. And he talked about it, you know, about this whole speculation. I was like, well, yeah, Chip brought me out from nowhere, and and he's let me have this kind of, you know, autonomy to do this. And that's why, I mean, and to me, this is the thing with Kyle Busch. The only reason Kyle Busch doesn't run 150 NASCAR races a year is because they published 15. Because if they didn't put restrictions on it, he'd run 25 Xfinity races a year, and he'd run 15 truck races. And I would, I'll venture to say this. I do not, and it's been qualified, if you've heard this program, if you actually listen to it, I'm no Kyle Bishop as a, as a person. I know as a driver, he's, he's real talented. I think he's a douche. 
But the fact of the matter is this. He owns his own truck team. He builds trucks. He's going to be building trucks for Stewart Friesen next year and selling them to that Halmar team. You know, and he's going to be making trucks for two really talented guys, Nekis and Lassard, and amongst other people that are going to be probably announced as we go along. He owns his own stuff. The way the Xfinity series or Bush series back in the day was, you ran your own stuff and you just put your sponsor on the side just for promotion and whatever. They ran their own stuff. Kyle Bush, if he wanted to run every freaking race in the truck series and you just get owner's points, you win the owner's championship, God bless him. That's fine. It's his team. He's making the money. I will be if there's no money in the truck series, but he's making money. In the Xfinity series, when you're sitting there with the best freaking team and you're just beating up on anybody, like when he was running his own team, I got it. And that was fine. And going, and that's the whole thing. Like he, there's a there's a point where if you're gonna run races and if you're gonna run, it's like if you're focused on one thing. I think Kyle Larson performs better when he knows that he can get out of the pressure and the whole, you know, this whole, you know, this this pressure cooker which is NASCAR. It's the way Tony always felt about it, which is why he's happier now than he's ever he's been in years running four tens and doing all that three sixties and doing all that stuff. It's because there's something it's it's home. You know, his brother in law is the world of outlaws champion. I think he'd want to hang out with his brother in law a lot, as much as he can to be a family so that his kids can be with their their uncle and things like that. I think Kyle Larson at the end of the day is a different breed. That's just what it is. Whether or not he ever wins a cup title, we never will know. I, we don't know. He may, he may not. I think if he went to Stuart Haas Racing, he'd have a really good shot. And I think that would be the kind of move that would make Kevin Harvick be like, I'm going to mentor him, and that's going to be my walk-off for Tony. I'm going to build the next great champion. That's what, that's the kind of move that, that has to happen. I think Kurt pushes there for two more years, and they're trying to do it as a preemptive move to go and see, can we keep Kyle and try to have somebody, a veteran mentor, try to build him so that he can be that leader and get us to the, the promised land at Ganassi Racing. The The fact of the matter is he ain't going to stop running dirt. And um, I get the understanding of the belief that, you know, you don't want to run as much or you may be tired. I don't think it really affected him this year because in the second half of the year, the 42 car was – one of the best cars. The first half of the year wasn't great, but in the second half of the season, they were one of the best cars on track, and he was going, you know, running a midget here and there, running a sprint car here and there. Um, and if you took that away from Larson, I think you wouldn't see the best version of young money that you need to have that can win races anywhere and anything. Oh, I agree. I'm not saying take it away entirely. I I, I hope it didn't come off that way. But to me, no. maybe I misinterpreted his quote incorrectly. It almost seems like he wants to take an uptick in dirt racing from where he has been the last few years. And again, I'm I'm all for you know you want to go play and 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 blow off some steam a couple of weeks out of the year. You know, five ten weeks out of the year, I'm fine with that. But if he's running, you know, uh on a pretty consistent basis, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night dirt races, and then he goes to the Cup Series race Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 
goes and goes and be cup driver there, and then go, you know, or Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday he finds a dirt race to go to. It just gets to a point where you sit there and you go, all this flying, all this traveling, um, is it really hurt his NASCAR career? And and I think Larson, you're right, he's a different breed. You know, I think for a lot of of us, uh, at least for NASCAR fans, we look at NASCAR as the number one thing. I don't think Kyle Larson does. I think he, he you know, he's come out and said, I want to run a world of outlaws. That would be my deal. And he likes NASCAR, I'm sure, and he wants to be a champion. But I think world of outlaws is his ultimate goal. He dreamed of being a world of outlaws champion, a world of outlaws driver, not a Daytona 500 <laughs> champion, which is a different breed for sure. Um, but I think at the end of the day, um, it, it's just gonna, I'm just going to be curious to see how it all plays out with Larson and, and if it does or doesn't um, affect his We'll never really know. We can always speculate. We'll never know for sure whether or not it hurts his career. But you know, and I don't want this to go off away because I think Larson's got a lot of skill. But he hasn't. He's underperformed the last two years. Now, you can you can say, well, it's the team he's been on. They haven't been great. Chevrolet hasn't been great for sure. But he has underperformed the last two seasons. There's no question about that. Um, so it's gonna be interesting. It's just gonna be interesting to see if he can rebound in 2020 and then 2021 wherever he goes. If he stays at Ganassi or he goes somewhere else, um, if he will ever reach his peak where everybody thinks he should be in the Cup Series, uh, and if you know the dirt racing thing becomes an issue later on in his career, we'll see. Number seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. That's the number to call here on Talking Circles. Another crew chief announcement here, and, and a sort of a, a curious move uh, for for JTD Daughter Racing. I think they announced it last week. If you missed it. Um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., we knew he was going to drive there. It was announced in October that he was going to drive the um, at, at JTD Daughter Racing, taking one of the seats that was vacated by Chris Busher, who went and took Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s ride. But it's now Stenhouse is going to be in the number 47 uh, JTD Daughter Racing ride, and Ryan Priest is going to be in the number 37. So Priest, who was in the 47 last year, moves to the 37 Stenhouse. Um, takes the 47, which was Priest's car, and Busher is driving over there at Rash Fenway Racing. They've also announced that Brian Patty, who was the crew chief for him at um, for Ricky Sanders Jr. at Rash Fenway well, the last few seasons, joined him here at JTG uh, in the 47. I know for a fact as well, Mike Kelly's a part of that team as well, who's uh, Stenhouse's crew chief in the Xfinity Series when he won a couple of championships. So Interesting moves there as well. What are your thoughts on um, Brian Patty joining GTG Daughter Racing and uh, Ricky Sandhouse Jr. going to the 47? I mean, I, I don't really think it's made a major deal of number change, but what about Patty uh, and Stenhouse teaming up there at JTG for 2020? Yeah, I didn't know the part about Mike Kelly moving over there, so I think I think what it basically is is they're kind of reshuffling the deck with that 17 run and they kind of let whoever wanted to go, go. And in the process, Kelly, who's probably been the one guy that's been able to harness Ricky Stenhouse's potential uh, for a longer period of time. And then you have Patty, who they won a couple of cup races a couple of years ago. Going and moving over to JTG, it's fun and well. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, the... 
they have the one good crew chief in Trent Owens. We talked about it earlier this year. Um, I read somewhere that um, by moving Ryan Priest into the 37 and keeping that whole group together with Trent Owens, that it'll allow that 37 based on their situation to possibly get some tire testing, which for Priest in his second going into his second cup season would be good, you know, time, good track time data working with the team and the working in towards the potential that Priest really has is one of the best Northeast drivers we've had in a long time, uh, possibly to get to get there and be competitive. That thirty seven car, you would talk about it every week how Busher would get top twenty is like nobody's business. And I think they hired Ryan Priest under the pretense that he would be able to kind of perform to that level. And I, his crew chief and that whole group, I think they kind of saw that that wasn't going anywhere. So they kind of moved on with that. They're bringing in that Roush Fenway technology and understanding. And I mean, Patty, I always think of him as Joe Nemechek's crew chief back in the day when Joe Nemechek had a, a Bush series team and he was a young guy and he was really good. Uh, he had some moments with uh, Juan Pablo Montoya uh, in the 42 car. A couple moments, obviously, a couple wins with the Uh I'm, I mean, he's okay. I, I think it's more about continuity and trying to get, figuring out what the cars are there at JTG, Doherty, and making them so that Stenhouse can kind of get off on the right foot. Daytona. It's kind of a crapshoot. They're not going to qualify well. They're not great qualifying cars, JTG. They race well. And, of course, Stenhouse on a restricted play track, whether they have him or not, he's one of the most interesting guys to watch. And Priest had two really good finishes at those tracks last year. So combining those two things together, who knows? Pull one out of your butt, you go and win a race, you go and get in the playoffs. Uh, that's really what that is. I mean, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that whole group kind of builds together um, mm-hmm. and uh, meshes um, with uh, Trent Owens. Because I think at the end of the day, when we talk about leadership and group chief and who kind of runs the show, Trent Owens runs the show there at uh, JTG Doherty. He's a soft-spoken guy. His, his, um, his stepfather is a great Barry Dotson. But the fact of the matter is he's a really darn good crew chief. And uh, he has a driver in line three that could take a big step forward. And Stenhouse is on a prove-it kind of deal. He's like, I want to prove that I still belong in this series. So you got two really hard-charging guys that want to go and do something. And it's going to be interesting to see. It is. I'll say this, you know, and I hope this doesn't come off. I hope this comes off as, as how I interpret it. But I think it's almost like, you know, this team is is establishing themselves and and really putting themselves up another level. Um, you know, that 37 car we you touched on it. I know I touched on it at nauseum last year. Um, they were a strong team last year. They were a very very good race team. Uh, Trent Owens I think is a the most underrated crew chief in the garage. Period. Hands down. I don't think it's even close. Um, and I think Bushy did a very very good job there last year as well. So I think now they're sitting there going, okay, we got all a lot of success from the 37 team. How do we infuse that into both teams? And you bring in a guy who, Brian Patty, who's 
a veteran. Um, with Ricky Stenhouse Jr., I'm sure Stenhouse was saying, please get him, please get him, please get him. He's a great crew chief. You know, he had, a, he had some success, as you mentioned, with Nemechek. He really had his success um, with Clint Boyer at Michael Walter Bracing. That's when he really shined in that 15 car when Boyer won three races there. Uh, I believe it was 2012. Yeah, he did great there. And, um, you know, he, he went to Roush Fenway, and they had some success. There's no question about it. But, you know, I think it's now they look at it and they say, okay, we, we're, we're still trying to figure out that 47 team or that second car over here. We know we got a good crew chief in the, in that, in the one team. We're still trying to figure out whether or not the crew chief is going to be able to take the team to the next level over there at the 47. And I think everybody sits there and goes, with Brian Patty, they're much closer than where they were a year ago with Christian Smith. And, again, that's not as trying to, to hurt Christian Smith at all, but he's never really worked as a crew chief for another organization. Patty's got all these notes, got all this wisdom from Roush Fenway and how they do things at Roush Fenway and how they do things at Michael Walter Bracing. And uh, he brings all that knowledge and, and everything in there and says, here's what we need to do to win races. Here's how we got to go about it. And it might help the team as a whole, might boost them up a little bit. They have Hendrick Motorsports engines in those cars. So I think that team's going to be some, somebody very interesting to watch here as speed weeks go along. Uh, you mentioned Stenhouse. There's no question Ricky is a guy who um, is very extremely, extremely aggressive on the play tracks. Um, but, you know, and, and Priest had some good runs next year. But I think Priest also – this is a, a situation now where we talked about the free agent class next season. Ryan Priest came into this team, and I think a lot of people say, oh, it's a tremendous hire. He's great. Okay, last year he struggled. There's no question, especially when you look at it from where that 37 team was compared to the 47. It was, it was not a good year last year for Priest. But you sat there and said, hey, he's a rookie. Learn to drive these tough cars. We'll give him a – We'll give him a pass. This year, you sit there and go, I'm putting you with the crew chief we know has, has had success. This is your time to shine, Ryan. This is your time to take the next step. I'm not going to say you can go out and win races, but maybe even be in the conversation for the playoffs, like like Busher was at times this year, and, uh, and and show that he's taken the next step in his career and say, okay, we know we got a good driver, Ryan Priest. We know he's at least been proving where if he has another bad year, you say, I got to get this guy out of here. We got to get another driver in here who could do very good. So um, I think that's that's very interesting as well here how this JTG Doherty team is going to go here uh, in in 2020. Um, just because there's, again, a lot of change there as well with drivers changing cars um, and a new crew chief in there. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to watch how all that plays out. Another bit of silly season news that came out you know it was speculated for a while but you know there was people who thought maybe um that uh that daniel suarez was going to go to the 32 that maybe another driver was going to go to the 32 but it is in fact core lejoy lejoy i'm sure looked at all his options and, and went back they're going to have a like like they announced early in the year they said listen go fast racing is going to have like a strong alliance with Stuart Haas racing um, next season. So that's a big step in the right direction for that team. LaJoy, in a lot of people's mind, had a really good year last year. And if you think about it, you know, everybody was tooting the horn of, of Matt Benedetto and how good he ran that 95 car last year at times. And there was no doubt. He did a very good job at times last year. But Corey LaJoy took that 32 team and basically the same crew chief and the same equipment 
and outperformed what Matthew Benedetto did the year before in that 32 team. So if you sit there and think Di Benedetto's got a lot of talent, what does that say for Corey LaJoy? And I think in a lot of people's eyes, they looked at that and said, hey, that, that's really good. You know, that team picked up from the year before, and they went from a driver who was very good, and LaJoy was better. So, um, yeah, I think it was a, a something impressive to watch. Now, LaJoy's going to have – this is the ride he's been waiting for. This is the opportunity he's been waiting for to where maybe this team's not going to go out and compete for wins on a regular basis. But they're going to be closer to the playoffs than what they were last year. There's no question about that. Go Fast has been a team in this sport for a long time. Uh, if you want to bring it back to Fastlane Racing with Frankie Stiers, Steve, you know, and they've been kind of you know, bottom feeders for a long, long time. But here they are now aligning with Stuart Haas Racing, and it looks like they're going to, they have all their decks in a row to have a pretty competitive 2020 season. Don't know who the crew chief is going to be there. I thought maybe Billy Scott was going to go there. Doesn't look like that's the case as he's now running the engineering department over there at Richard Childress Racing. So they got some work to do over there to figure out the crew chief. But what are your thoughts on LaJoy returning to go fast racing in 2020? Well, I mean, for Corey LaJoy, it's a good deal for him. I mean, you think about, I think about being in the media center years ago at Pocono when he was driving uh, for the Rulo brothers uh, when he was a petty development driver. This is when Richard Petty Motorsports had a development program. Uh, and he drove for the Rulo brothers and he won the taxi cab with the number 17. And he dominated the ARCA race there. And he came in and he had this, you know, he had this swagger about him. And that's the whole point about Corey LaJoy. A lot like his father, he's very outspoken. He'll offend people. And that's the way he is, the way he carries himself. Uh, the way his father was a very outspoken guy. But his dad figured out a way to win a couple of Xfinity championships for Bill Baumgartner and give himself a career and grow for Hendricks. This time right here, you know, I don't think it's going to get any better for Corey LaJoy driving, getting Stuart Haas equipment, you know, driving for this team. And in the end, the only person that really was going to replace him was Suarez. And if he had been replaced, he was probably going to take over a front row motorsports ride, which would have been at best the lateral move theoretically. Uh, I mean, I think the go fast team or fast lane, whatever, and mixing them all up now, they will probably move up into the top 25 in points uh, just based on equipment. Driving talent-wise, I think he can move up a couple of positions just based on his driving talent and his engineering and car building uh, side, which Corey has been there and he talked about uh Darlington, I remember when they were talking about the Pinsky stuff. He talked about how he was working on a car and building a car and got a call and kind of got his driving career back on track. And so, I mean, he's a good driver, solid. He actually drove better than Matt Benedetto did. And I think it's mainly because Corey LaJoy understands the whole bit. I think he's more, he's a more like an all around guy. There aren't that many guys like that anymore in this sport. Corey LaJoy is a throwback to that, and that's good for a very small organization. And they're lining themselves up to make a, 
uh, make a move. And, of course, with Stuart Haas and more like Tony Stewart trying to look at the future and trying to extend, we can only have four teams. Well, where are we going to extend? Front row has kind of been that rogue Ford team. They don't want to be. They don't want to follow along with all the other Fords, so we can't really go with them. Let's go with go for this this team that just kind of followed along, did its thing. And we could possibly expand with them and kind of want to you know drive a development program over there, depending on how things go. Uh, minus an Xfinity program that may or may not exist, which as there is no Xfinity program for Stewart House Racing uh, going into 2020. So, I mean, good for Corey LaJoy. Um, it looked like he had options anyways, even if this had went away. But he'll stay with this group, whoever the crew chief is. Uh, they'll have a guy who's going to drive hard and uh, drive to the best of what they have over there. He'll make some flashes. I think the Daytona 500 will be an interesting one for them. I'm sure they're going to work on that car really hard, give them a chance. And uh, there will be some other places during the year where they'll make some flashes anyway, and the Stuart Haas equipment will give them a better chance at the uh, Agreed. I think it's going to be an interesting year for Corolla Joy. Final thing I want to touch on here tonight, Philip, um, and it's just because we've had so much to talk about tonight. Uh, but it was the penalizing, and now it's been a, been a while, November 27th, so it's been a couple of weeks here since we've had a show, and it's been a couple of weeks since this was announced. But uh, teams got penalized for manipulating the rules at Homestead. I just want to get your opinion on it. I mean, NASCAR said four teams I mean, helped manipulate the rules, and they were docked 50 points from the 2019 Team Owners Championship standings for altering the finishing order for the Ford EcoBoost 400 at, no, on, at Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh so here's what it was. Report list that Scott Eggleston, who was the competition director for Premium Motorsports, was indefinitely suspended. And Keith Evans, uh, who holds the same role with Rick Rare Racing, was indefinitely suspended as well. Both were fined $25,000. Team owners Rick Ware, Jay Robinson, and TJ Pooch of Spire Motorsports, Poochier, excuse me, of Spire Motorsports, were fined 50 grand. All four teams are uh, deducted 50 owner points from the team owner standings. Uh, what it meant was um, basically that really what happened was if in a lot of people's minds, if you didn't see it, there was really hard evidence that uh, Premium Motorsports and Rick Ware Racing were working in Spire, which uh, Premium Motorsports basically runs the Spire team. They all kind of worked in cahoots to get Ross Chastain's number 15 car, which was there's a bonus for open teams. Uh, a, a $200,000 bonus for the best open team of the year. And the 15 car had that, but was losing it at the time to the number 96 team. So the 15 needed to gain some positions. The 27, 52, and 77 were all ahead of the 15 car in the closing stages of the event. Mysteriously, within about a 15-lap period, the 27, 52, and 77 came into the garage and parked it for the night. Um, and there was some conversation on the radio that it looked clear that they were trying to manipulate the finishing or of that race. Chastain ended up getting the spots he needed, and that 15 car got the spots they needed to get that $200,000 bonus. NASCAR looked into it. Apparently, the 96 team thought something was up and had them look into it. And then um, 
NASCAR said, oh, they came out with these penalties. Now, obviously, Philip, these teams are, are not uh, teams that, when you look at it, the outside fan might not know. Premium Motorsports, Rick Ray Racing, Spire, they're, they're sort of smaller teams and what is referred to as backmarker teams. Um, but what were your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think the penalties were stiff enough for these teams? Uh, what are your thoughts? A lot of people were comparing this to almost spin gate. Um, but what were your thoughts on, on the whole uh, teams manipulating the rules there at Homestead Miami Speedway? Yeah, I mean, that's basically the, the only thing you can compare it to uh, in recent times. Uh, the collusion and talking about collusion in today's uh, uh, the, the way the, the climate that we live in uh, in multiple aspects. The the fact that you have two cellar dweller uh, owners in Rick Ware and Jay Robinson who have been cellar dwellers for decades uh, trying to manipulate a result because the Gaunt brothers showed up. They only showed up about 20 times this year or somewhere, I don't know, something like that. And they actually performed somewhat uh, when they did show up. Uh, it's kind of a similar schedule to what the Wood brothers were running for a while uh, to get themselves back on their feet. And, I mean, also because Toyota's stupid business model that they have, uh, which is busting, breaking this series, which is putting the series into bankruptcy. But the the, I mean, there's a separate. That's a whole separate show to talk about Jay Robinson and Rick Ware. The fact that they're colluding to go and try to figure out a way to get one car to finish one spot ahead. Um, there's a novel concept. You could actually go and run one of those cars out properly. Uh, you know, maybe about. 12 to 16, 18 times a year when you basically have three, you have six cars between the two of those teams at a lot of these races or five cars. You're telling me you can't pool your dang resources together and run one of them properly? I mean, that you wouldn't, the, the point is that 15 car ran every race this year and they got beat by a team that ran 20 or whatever, how many? It's a joke. Um, I mean, the sport in a lot of ways, the way it's run, the way things are, is a joke. The fact that cellar dwellers like them are coming into the, the Cup Series and are able to own multiple charters is embarrassing. Uh, and that you ran in people like Joe Gibbs and whatever, ran out Barney Visser, who was a legitimate owner, who worked up the right way and built a great team, uh, th that's a problem. Uh, fundamentally, based on the business model and the way things are, these guys are going to be here. The That they wanted to go about it this way is a black eye for the sport, and because the lame streamers aren't going to really report it the way they should, it's going to kind of get swept under the rug. Um, it's embarrassing to the teams that actually try hard on a weekly basis, no matter where they're at in their um, team development. Uh, we'll see what happens. I don't think for those teams, they've always been bottom of the barrel, you know, bottom feeders, Rick Ware and, and Jay Robinson. And uh, I, I'll say this, at least it gives 
good, hardworking people who have been let go because of this contraction of legitimate teams, contraction because of sponsorship and all, all these different things, an opportunity to still work on a week-to-week basis. In that sense, it's good. Uh, the way they go about it, things that they do um, are mind-numbing and, quite frankly, nauseating. Um, this is just another example of that. Uh, but in the end, nobody's going to talk about it at Daytona because it's not like they're going to really be doing anything until the end of the race. And then after that, nobody's really going to care. But it is a problem, and it is a it is 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 an indication of where the sport is at um, compared to eleven years ago, um, even ten years ago when a couple of big teams went bust and a lot of small teams came in and were trying to make the Daytona 500 with other teams' equipment, and it was actually a competitive Daytona 500. Uh, field, uh, but I guess we'll find out. There's there's things to be seen. We got about a month or so to go before we really get into it. Here. Yeah, and I, I'll say this about this. You know, it bothered the heck out of me when I when I read it and saw what they did, just because of the integrity. You know, you sit there and you go, a guy like Reed Sorensen. You know, he basically got screamed at to come in the down pit road, and I'm hoping down the line that that doesn't cost resource in a job because basically what he was doing was what he's supposed to do and that's drive a race car. Um, and now he's being told, you know, and they, he was told you're going to run a full race. You know, uh, you're not going to start and park. We wouldn't start and park, but then all of a sudden you're starting parking essentially. Uh, a couple of, one of those things is, I, listen, I don't know how they didn't, uh, for the teams that basically parked with the charter, which would have been the 77 and it's, I believe the 27 has a charter as well. Um, I don't think the 52 did. But for those teams, you know, to me, you should have hit them harder and, and figured out a way to say, listen, you guys do this again or, or uh, you know, we could, we're going to take your charter away because you're supposed to run all 36 races. When they came out and said about these charters, when they came out and said that, they said, you know, we want every team – we don't want this any of this uh, start and park stuff. We want every team to run a full race. If you have a charter, there's no reason not to, and yet they're pulling it in. So um, I also think it's kind of ridiculous that there's a $200,000 bonus for the highest open team. I'm not really sure. I don't really understand that either because, um, you know, why? Because we have a 36-car field, now you're going to sit there and go, well, you're cutting the field down to 36. Well, maybe we should do that anyway if that's what these teams are going to be doing. If they're going to be manipulating the rules, what the hell is the point of having 38 cars if – Three of them are going to start and park so one car can get more spots. It's just, to me, I, I hate it. I didn't, I didn't like it at all. And, you know, you got to wonder if teams will do, if, if that team or one of those teams did that a couple other times throughout the year and we didn't even notice it. You know, one time, hey, I need one spot, pull it in a little early, you got uh, power steering issues. You know, I hate that. And, and so, um, starting parks is a touchy subject to begin with. I understand it in the Xfinity series um, to an extent, but when you got a charter and you pull it in and start park. NASCAR should really look at that now. Part of it would be that they don't really have a team right now that come in and buy a charter. But I'm gonna give it to the ninety six team and say, listen, you know what, if you're not gonna if you're gonna, you know, screw around and not really run, we're gonna give you a charter to the ninety six team. And if you do it again, that's what we're gonna if we think you started in the park, 
That's what we're going to do. We're going to take your charter away from you, and we'll give it to the to another team that ran that runs every race they run. Because that '96 team, to me, they did everything they were supposed to do, and, and they they have good integrity. Looks like maybe Suarez is going to go there uh, full time. That's a, a hot rumor now. But I would have sat there and tried to hit them where it hurts. Take their charter away. You to me, starting and parking with a charter is absolutely ridiculous. You can't really do anything other than what they did with the teams that are open. But for the charter teams, they could have pulled their charter or hit, hurt it immensely or said, you know what, now you guys got to sell your charter, something to that nature. So um, I know that's you can say that's harsh, but that's how ridiculous to me that's what they did was uh, at Homestead Miami Speedway. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles. We'll looking at our Facebook and our Twitter page for our next show. Uh, it's the all season. You know, there's some stuff to talk about. Obviously, there's still some things to go out there. Uh, a lot of truck series stuff to go on yet. Uh, Front Row Motorsports really hasn't come out with their plans for 2020 yet. Uh, we didn't even get into the Quilf Hal and uh, Landon, Landon Castle ordeal, which was another thing. Uh, which was which was another thing that that we could discuss. And um, real quick, Philip, and I don't want to get too deep into this because this show's already going over an hour. But what about that? Let's talk about that because it's gonna be old news here in a couple of weeks. Uh, or whenever we have our next show, it's going to be ancient news then. What about that move? Quinn Halfley was um, you know, a young kid running full-time over there at Starcom Racing next season. And Landon Castle, I thought they did a pretty good job last year and at double zero. Out of a ride, uh, to me, it's just another sign of the times where these kids with money coming in and, and, and taking a ride from a veteran or somebody who got that ride and they did a good job and Listen, I hope Derek Cope knows what he's doing. I really do. Here's what I'm really concerned about is Atlantic Castle's going to become the crew chief over there at that double zero team. I hope that's not the case. But uh, the way they worded it kind of made me scratch my head and go, what are they doing? They got rid of their crew chief, Joe Williams. Maybe they're going to put Atlantic Castle in there as a crew chief and, and kind of teach uh, Quinn House how to, you know, how to do this a little bit. Um, what are your thoughts on that whole ordeal? Real quick, Philip. Uh, about yeah, Quinn Half and uh, Atlanta Castle. It disgusted me to the core. Uh, I I texted you when I saw that, and, it, it, and you had a, you always have the memes because you got the iPhone and, and it was funny. And I'm like, it's disrespectful. It's the same Landon Castle that was testing like nobody's business for entry motorsports when Jimmy Johnson was on his five feet. Uh, he won Rookie of the Year in the Xfinity Series. It might have been the Bush Series back then still, or Nationwide, um, where that transition went, and then didn't have a job. Uh, he, whatever car he's been in, he's gotten the best out of it. Derek Cope, for whatever the heck he's worth, has, hasn't been relevant since 1990, and somehow or another still exists in this sport. And he has this team, and Landon Castle was pushing above his weight. And then he drove his heart out, and they got rid of him for a daddy's money guy. He is pretty mediocre. We'll see what happens. Hopefully he isn't going to be crew chief. Hopefully they can get some money at Morgan Shepard's group, and he can run that 89 uh, Xfinity car full-time next year. Because the way you're in at Homestead, uh, they have – the potential to uh, run top 15 every week, which means they have a chance to play. So that would be something to see. It would be 
awesome if he could go there uh, with with funding and bring Morgan Shepard's team back to a little bit of relevance there and run full-time. Absolutely. And, and he did a great job. Listen, I was talking to a buddy of mine who I respect a lot, uh, and he was like, I don't think that team is going to finish anywhere close to the top 15. When he went out there and did that, he was like, wow. I said, yeah, I told you. You know, Landon's a very good driver. He's a sneaky good driver. Uh, you mentioned all the testing he did for Hendrick Motorsports. He learned a lot there. And I didn't like what happened with him at, in uh, about Front Row Motorsports a couple of years ago. He had one really two years, but one in each car to prove himself. I never like only one a driver only getting one year to really kind of show what they're worth and then getting kicked out of the curb. I didn't like it this year even with um, Daniel Hemrick who got that opportunity with Richard Childress Racing. So, uh, yeah, I didn't understand it. I just think, you know, if you want to get competitive as a team that's small and you want to build up, uh, you know, hire, go with a veteran. I'm sure Landon doesn't command, command, command a lot of money to come drive. I'm sure he's just doing it to – and obviously he's getting paid, but I'm sure he's doing it to, um, to you know, have a, have a living and enjoy, enjoy it and help a team. And uh, to get – to lose his ride, again, I don't think it was really his fault uh, that the team – they're building. They're only in their, I think, second full-time year, maybe third full-time year coming into 2020. So uh, I didn't understand it either, and we'll see. I mean, uh, Hal, to me, didn't do anything too impressive over there at uh, whatever that team was, Spire Motorsports, oh. or 27 car, whatever the hell he was in. Uh, he didn't really do anything to open my eyes and go, oh, he deserves a, a full-time ride. He's barely got any experience in the Xfinity Series, barely got any experience series, or any experience in the truck series, and now he's, he's got 17 races in cup, and now he's going to go run full-time. We'll see how it goes. But uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. Again, we'll see you next time. We'll hopefully have one more show here in December before the holidays, and then we'll get ready and really vamp, ramp up here after the holidays, after uh, the, the new year, and uh, really get ready for 2020 and we'll start really counting down towards the Daytona 500 and Speed Weeks of 2020. Philip Matthew, great job as always. We'll see you next time. Good night.